So it's good to be with you sharing Aidan's message to you. Um, well, actually, I have rejigged it because it's quite hard to give someone else's message. So I have actually kind of used some of his ideas and some of my own. Um, but uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Anita and I'm one of the church workers here. And uh, I discovered that I'm talking on this massive topic of relationships. Um, and of course, everybody's at different stages of life and different experiences with relationships. And we're only going to be able to scratch the surface. But maybe it will, apart from anything else, we'll get ideas of what topics we could cover in the future um, where we go into more depth. So I think we definitely need to pray about this, don't we? Let's just, just pray together. Father, I pray that you would guide our thoughts and our hearts this evening in your ways. Amen. Now, the first thing that Aidan wrote as his point one was that tonight he wanted to talk about relationships with other people. And I looked at that. I thought, duh. <laughs> Obviously, the nature of a relationship is that you need more than one person. Um, but what he wanted to point out, and what I'd like to point out too, is that the first relationship in our lives is our relationship with God. And there's no way we're going to do that well at any other kind of relationship unless we put that right first. Because God is the source of all love, and love is the key to relationships, as you know. And he, in fact, is a relationship in that mysterious thing that we call the Trinity. What number was that on the quiz? Number nine, whatever. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is a Father, perfectly loving his Son, and united by the Holy Spirit. So God is a relationship, and he created us out of that loving relationship. And so he wants to reconnect with all of creation, as we heard this morning, and with us as individuals. And so how we're treated by God would be a good place to learn how we should conduct ourselves in our human relationships, wouldn't it? Let's start with that thought about how God conducts his relationship with you. And trying to pretend to be like the curate, I thought, well, we better have some, uh, some points beginning with the same letter. Um, so these all begin with the letter U, which I thought was quite unusual, actually. I don't think we've ever had those before. And I didn't have time to write out all the Bible verses because time was short. Uh, so I thought that maybe different people could read these passages for us. So some of you have got on the table a Bible which has got little bookmarks sticking out with Bible verses on. Does that sound like any of you? Anybody spotter? If I give somebody the mic to pass to them. See, I'll tell you which one it's going to be. So first of all, God is utterly trustworthy. God is utterly trustworthy. That's how he conducts his relationship with us. And has somebody got Psalm 103, verse 13? As a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Thank you. So God is utterly trustworthy. He's also unconditionally loving. He's unconditionally loving. And this is the classic verse, John three sixteen. Has anyone got that one? Uh, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you. So that's just such a famous and important verse about the unconditional love of God. He is also utterly understanding. He's understanding of us. And for this one, I've chosen Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Has anyone got that passage, that bookmark marked? Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a higher priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was <coughs> without sin. Thank you. I think that's such a powerful picture, isn't it, that, that Jesus understands what it's like to be in relationships. Even though he didn't go on to sin like we do, he knew what it was like to experience the push and pull of uh, different emotions in any kind of relationship. And finally, God is unbelievably forgiving. It is incredible the way that he's forgiven us, isn't it? And we're going back to Psalm 103, um, verses 8 to 12. Yes, and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Thank you. So God, he's utterly trustworthy. He's unconditionally loving. He's understanding. And he's unbelievably forgiving. We want to think how we can bring those same values into our relationships with others. And I'm going to start with the kind of relationship which is friendship. Now, when you heard that there was going to be a talk on relationships, I'm not sure that friendship would have been your first choice. I don't know if I'm right in that. We tend to think about uh, relationships as being about sex and romance because society is so obsessed with it. Friendship can often be undervalued in our lives, particularly maybe as we get older. And I was pleased to see, though, if I think about it, I think friendship has got a bit of, more of a boost recently. The idea of spending quality time with your friends, I think, has become more of a priority in people's lives. Now, it might mean doing things that we perhaps might not approve of, um, the stag weekends that, um, you know, where vast amounts of alcohol are consumed. But the idea of going away with your friends, you know, before you get married or whatever, is a, is a good idea, isn't it? It's just that, you know, it depends how you do it. Um, and of course, when uh, we might have romantic relationships in our lives, they come and go for most people. And even long-term marriages are ultimately all finished by either divorce or bereavement. But we can have a sense, a series of friendships that run out our whole lives, can't we? Either special friendships that literally run our whole lives, or perhaps a series of different friendships as we move around the country. I just want you to think for a moment about a friend that you have and what makes them special to you. To me, it's my friend Julia, 
who, when I was three, I went to the same playgroup as her, and we used to sit behind the piano singing songs. And um, I'm still friends with her today. She was the one who led me to, to Jesus, so she has a very special place in my heart. And we have children exactly the same age and the same sex, if you see what I mean, so they're friendly with each other now as well. And her daughter helped Susie to come to faith. And just a very special friendship to me. And I think some of us, me, I'm talking to myself here, can be a little bit um, in danger of neglecting friendships, particularly if we are married. Sometimes we leave it to our spouse to do all the work. Or if we're younger, we might neglect friendships because we're so uh, concerned with our studies. Or as we get into work, we might just really focus on our work to the exclusion of friendships. Or we might distract ourselves from loneliness through various things that aren't perhaps so healthy, such as comfort eating or watching porn. And God wants to be friends with us. That's where we get our model of friendship from. I love the picture in Genesis 2 of Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with God in the garden. That's a wonderful picture of friendship. And in the prayer course, Pete Gregg used that as a picture of prayer, that sometimes we don't need to say stuff to God. We just need to be aware of him as we, as we walk with him. And I was just thinking of the Ikea, walk to Ikea that uh, Diana's instigated. How, how was it yesterday? Yeah, um, so this idea of once a month, anybody who wants to can just meet at Vassals Park on a Saturday morning and just go for a walk and they walk through by the river down to Ikea and have breakfast together or, or not as, as you prefer. It's a, such a lovely image of friendship and it mirrors that love that God has that he wants to spend time with us. So how does the Bible teach us to be good friends? I think it's important that Christians remember that we can't do Christianity on our own and that we need brothers and sisters in Christ who can support us practically and spiritually. And there are some wonderful pictures of friendship in the Bible. There's David and Jonathan, which we had on our quiz, um, who were perhaps a similar age. But there's also Elijah and Elisha, who were friends over two different generations. And another famous one of Ruth, Ruth and Naomi. If you remember the story, or if you're not sure of the story, Naomi was an older lady whose sons were both killed, and her daughters were traveling with her. And one of the daughters, Ruth, or daughter-in-law rather, decided she wanted to stay with Naomi and be her friend and not just go back to her own people now she was widowed. And it says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, this is Ruth saying to her mother-in-law, for where you go, I go, and where you lodge, I lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord so do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So this was a pledge from one person to another offered in friendship and loyalty, which is quite impressive for us to follow. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about relationships, of course, and he gives us these commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we've got that famous story of the Good Samaritan showing us how we might care for someone, both stranger and someone close to us. So we can mirror God's love for us in the way that we treat other people. 
And of course, the most uh, extreme act of love in a friendship is the act of sacrifice. And we have that example from Jesus that uh, in John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And we know that Jesus did that for us. But I wanted to also think about the passage, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. Did I include that on the list? Has anyone got that in the Bible? Yeah, okay. Um, so if someone would like to read that. So 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. You might want to look this one up if you have a Bible, because um, we're going to refer to this one quite a few times. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. which is page 1164. So, verses 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in <clears throat> rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always <clears throat> perseveres. <clears throat> Thank you. Now, when is this passage often used in churches? Weddings, yeah. But it was never intended to be only used for weddings. Uh, it was never intended to be interpreted only in that narrow, particular kind of relationship. It's a relationship about how to live our whole lives. And it's a beautiful passage. Learning to love like that would be a great guide for our lives. And it's something that takes a lifetime to work out how to do. But it might be a passage you could look at this week. And maybe you could reflect on it in the light of a specific relationship you have. Maybe it's a relationship that you're concerned about at the moment. Or maybe it's a relationship that you would like to flourish more. So I would strongly encourage you this week to open up that passage again one day when you have a few minutes of quiet and to just think of a relationship that you would like to dwell on and consider before God and pray into. Could be a marriage, could be a friendship, could be a relationship with a parent or a sibling or a child or a friend or a neighbor or a colleague. Pray that these things will become true in that relationship. Pray that you will be able to love like that in God's strength, of course, through the Holy Spirit, God, the relationship helping you. But it would be a beautiful place to learn, I think because it is actually intensely practical. And I think you could probably start thinking of practical ways in which you could live those things out. Not being envying, being patient with somebody. I think probably practical examples will pop into our minds if we lay this before God. So that's friendship. Now it's time to talk about sex. When Chris, my husband Chris, uh, was a young curate, before we were married, uh, he had to preach a sermon in his church, and it was about sex and relationships. I, I don't know what the passage was. And after the sermon, after the service, 
one of the older parishioners came and tapped his vicar, Eric, on the shoulder, and he said, Do you realise that curate, he mentioned the word sex 47 times in that sermon? <laughs> so Eric said, Well, he's getting married soon, and it's quite on his mind at the moment. <laughs> I'm glad my children aren't here to hear this. But we do have that, rather that reputation as Christians, don't we, that uh, Christians are, are very down on sex and that Christian youth leaders spend a lot of time telling young people not to do it, basically. Um, now, there's a lot of protectiveness, I think, that, that we have for younger generations, particularly, because we know that it's a powerful thing and it can be very damaging. And it's something that can seem all-consuming at certain times of your life, but actually, if you look about your whole lifetime, you can see it in more perspective. Uh, the greater value of friendship, perhaps, whether a friendship within a romantic relationship or with other friends and family. So sex is only part of that, but in our culture, we're made to think like it's everything, that it's the only expression of love that matters, that if you don't have sex, you can't know love. Without sex, you would automatically be lonely, that it would be the only way to experience intimacy. But the Bible disagrees with that. The Bible affirms sex as a gift, but it's not the only way of expressing love. And of course, sex is about giving yourself to another person, not taking from them. And we know how the world and how we're all guilty of warping that. So let's look again at 1 Corinthians 13 in the light of that. So this one, one, page 1164, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 again. And I'm just wondering whether it works to put in the word sex instead of the word love. Sex is patient, sex is kind, and so on. Just have a look. I think if, if people conducted a, a sexual relationship by these lines and these ways of doing things, I think it would be a very different thing. Well, that's enough about sex. How about relationships that are romantic? There might be people in the room, well, I know most, most of you, who are in different stages of life. Some are widowed, some are single, some have been married for a short time, some have been married for a long time, some are single through choice, some are single through circumstances, and so on and so on. Now, there's a lot to be said about marriage, and there are some wonderful resources, particularly courses that you can go on or that we can run here if you want us to. Uh, a lot of people talk about an, a marriage MOT because uh, in the way that you service a car every 1,000 miles or whatever, 10,000 miles, why not service your marriage every 10,000 miles, every so many years? And it's about going back to those words in 1 Corinthians 13 and learning how to put them into practice again, realizing where we've gone wrong, talking with each other about where we've perhaps hurt each other because we've stopped loving like this. Um, they're wonderful things to do, so uh, those of you who are married, do it. Those of you who will get married in the future, do a marriage preparation course and do marriage courses. I highly recommend it. And we know that marriage is an important thing. Paul talks about it as a picture of how Jesus loved the church. But it can be so hurtful when things go wrong, and any marriage will have tensions in it. So look again at, those, at that reading in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you are in a, a long-term relationship or a marriage, see if you can replace the word love and the word it with your own name 
and think whether that is actually true for you. So for me, it would be Anita is patient, Anita is kind, and see how God convicts us when we say that, because I suspect that we can't say many of those things completely honestly, uh, because we, we do make so many mistakes. But I think one thing that um, Aidan certainly wanted to stress about marriage was that marriage is not a substitute for friendship, that some people have a big passion to get married and that's their main aim in life. Great, fine, but it won't cure loneliness. We need friendships both within the marriage and outside marriages because otherwise they can be very vulnerable. And we need a Christian community as well as just our, our spouse. So that's something to think about for all of us, I think. And now singleness. Again, a topic that we just have only the chance to scratch the surface of now. But I know it's quite a hard thing to talk about because it can sound very trite from somebody who is married to talk about singleness. And often the church has got things wrong and been very hurtful to single people. So um, Aidan uh, knows the very well-known speaker from Soul Survivor, Mike Pilavacci, who's a single person. And he found this video that he would like us to watch, which just describes a bit more about his view of singleness. So I'm wondering whether we can just take a break from me talking and watch this video, and then I'll finish up. Okay, some of these things may raise more questions than they answer because we are doing such a whistle-stop tour. So do speak to people afterwards or in another setting if you want to just explore some of these things further or if you have particular things that you're struggling with. Going back to something that Jesus said in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor, your spouse, your friend, your acquaintance that God is calling you to get to know better, your online community, your brothers and sisters in Christ, as yourself. Now, we won't be able to do this perfectly. We're going to fail at this because we are sinful. But it's part of our mission. It's part of God's mission to show the world what God's love is like by the way that we love. We're pointing them to Jesus, who is the supreme example of love. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the relationship you have with your Son and with the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are utterly trustworthy, unconditionally loving, understanding, and unbelievably forgiving. Help us to bring those same values into our relationships with others whatever they might be. In Jesus' name, amen.